Wednesday night edition of the Dunked on Basketball podcast. Got to get to this Cleveland-Boston game. The expected result occurred, at least by me, since I predicted a sweep. Also, we have been lagging. We got to get to our all-defense picks, Danny and I. And finally, of course, the off-season preview for the recently vanquished Washington Wizards. But first, this is a message to one of our longtime listeners from his friends. From the sunny West Coast to the Big Apple, and now our nation's capital, we've seen it all. The early mornings, the sleepless nights, you championed the odds makers and defeated the naysayers and now you'll carve out a new path forward and show to the world the deity that you are just light years ahead of course we are talking about ellie reginald weiss this weekend ellie is graduating georgetown law and on behalf of luna and michael farr we at dunked on would like to wish you ellie big congratulations on this great achievement even though you seldom bought the textbooks and just got outlines from your friends three weeks before the final exams you always tried your best and went out with a bang we know that you're blasting this program on 1.5x speed as you bike on mass ave to and from school and scurry up the cj stairs into your cozy lightless bedroom but we salute you nonetheless and wish you good luck in your upcoming endeavors congratulations lulu so uh, that was uh an interesting (laughs) congratulations to uh a law student who's apparently somehow made it through uh, all three years and uh worked really hard uh, according to his friends well you and i can speak to the accomplishments that that is because it's something that we both did even though I never ended up practicing but yeah I mean getting through the, getting through those three years I've, I've said before that 1L was the toughest toughest year of my life academically by far and just in terms of overall stress so to get through that and and still be alive that's great yeah congratulations also Elliot to getting into a way better law school than I did at Georgetown <laughs> they rejected me <laughs> So yeah, his buddy Michael just emailed me and was like, hey, we'd love to buy an ad on the podcast for our friend. And I I thought that was a cool idea. So if anyone else ever wants to try that, uh, my email address is in my Twitter profile. I will say anything, anything that you want me to. No, that's actually not true. In fact, uh, Michael's first draft, uh, I, you will thank me, Elliot, that I rejected it and told him that he had to, he had to clean it up a little bit. It was so, it was something involving like morning star nuggets, uncontrollable coughs, and bathroom runs. Uh, you know, I would I would never repeat anything like that. Uh, all right, let's get to some basketball here. I, I think that that message actually was far more exciting than the actual game between Cleveland and Boston, which was, I don't know, exactly what you'd expect. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I thought it was exciting just because LeBron James cutting through a team the way that he did was was impressive. And it wasn't Yeah, okay, close. it was exciting. It was not dramatic. How about that? That that's fair. And his actual his final line ended up being to me less impressive than what he what he was doing at halftime because at halftime he had 23 points, but he ended up with 38 four, 14 to 24 shooting, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 turnovers. You know, standard LeBron James game, but also Kevin Love got going fairly early and I thought he did a good job too, but the story is still LeBron James. You know, Zach Lowe had an interesting point on Twitter which is one that I think perhaps we should consider and that is that Cleveland really has not found an opponent other than the Golden State Warriors that's been able to make Kevin Love really paid defensively and in fact against a lot of these teams Love when they're going against switching smaller defenses he's actually been able to get into the post and kill guys Marcus Smart was the latest victim of that we saw Norman Powell get killed in the last round by Love in the post and Love was outstanding dropping 32 points 
16 field goal attempts six of nine from three and then he got to the foul line for eight for nine as well as cleveland shot 35 free throw attempts and he was awesome again you know when you you see it every time like when he tried to just post up straight on al horford no dice but if you want to just switch the lebron james kevin love pick and roll and now you've got him in the post against like a marcus smart type of guy like he's gonna work that dude and you can try fronting but there's so much shooting you it's difficult to get help on the backside. and then you've got lebron james throwing the pass he's like an unbelievable entry passer as well he can lob it over the top put it into tight windows so what are you going to do I mean, oh we need more ball pressure on lebron james well now he's going to blow by you a, a guy who just tried to switch on to him who's a power forward uh, that they had a lot of trouble with that another thing that i thought really stuck out was they tried putting al horford on james and uh, of course Cavs twitter was predictably giving me some shit because last year in the playoffs i said that lebron james can't go by anyone anymore and well number one i think he actually looks quicker than he did back then but number two the way he's hit his jump shot now you have to play up on him and he can blow by everyone i mean a perfect example of that was like jay crowder basically had him trapped in the corner and he's gotta like get right in lebron's face on that play and then they also ha- have even more shooting this year than they did last year I mean, remember last year they're playing mozgov still a lot of the time you know so kevin love is one pass away kelly olenic can't help there and just lebron sails in for like an easy you know lefty lay-in Boston just looked so bad so far away defensively from being able to stop these guys and you know they did hold down the Cavs three-point shooting in the first half but and they only shot two out of nine but Boston was one out of 15 in the first half from three and so I mean their offense was horrible the defense was just giving up layup after layup Olenek got smoked Horford was getting worked in isos love in the post I mean really the only guy who didn't get going in this game was Irving and then of course Tristan Thompson was unbelievable as well Danny yeah he was really strong early in the game just getting offensive rebounds and really breaking Boston's backs on some of the plays where they played good first shot defense they didn't play for good first shot defense that often but when they did oftentimes those possessions did not finish with a rebound with a stop with going the other way because Thompson either got an offensive board or was fouled which don't count as offensive rebounds which was frustrating us but he ended up with six in the game and a perfect seven for seven from the field a lot of those being close to the basket on lobs and things of that nature but he can just really he, he is a force offensively a different kind of force but one nonetheless yeah and in, in the first half I think he had five offensive rebounds and then another one where he drew a a loose ball foul and so the very rare times that Cleveland was missing in that first half they had 46 percent offensive rebounds in in large part thanks to Thompson and then Thompson was great defensively and I thought another thing that you know the Celtics got pretty good open shots especially early in the in the first quarter and they weren't hitting those and then they kind of devolved I thought the second quarter uh was really ugly and they only had 39 points at halftime really their only offense that was effective was Avery Bradley going back door and so you know I think they can play a lot better you know like LeBron James was unbelievable defensively in the first half like he probably protected the rim like four or five times he like made Al Horford who was shook as hell like he was missing a bunch of layups inside Isaiah had this one moment where LeBron stopped him and Isaiah just like tried to shoot the ball up in the air and just like caught it again and got called for a travel like he had no chance uh that was reminiscent of like what LeBron did to Curry a few times blocking him in the finals last year so 
it was it, the big star from last time kelly Olynyk. 16 minutes he had only two points he was one out of six uh got in early foul trouble immediately marcus smart fouled out in 21 minutes i mean really the only guys that i thought played well in the first half were bradley and jalen brown who, who gave them something but uh, aside from that then the, I, I don't how much stock do you put into what happened uh after halftime when the celtics were able to score better they had 36 points in the third and then 29 in the fourth although the game you know they were down by 20 for most of that second half not a ton considering you can't really put that you can't really put that genie back in the bottle in terms of you know once a game is functionally over i feel like you can't you can't really rectify that but but i mean certainly we talked about it at the kind of the what was the end of the the twitter nba show about the idea of how you handle you know what we're looking for from boston and their problem early on was not necessarily getting good shots it was just converting those good shots yeah and their guys are definitely a lot streakier than cleveland who has you know great shooters like love irving jr smith channing fry actually didn't really play at all they went smaller with uh richard jefferson and amon Shumpert getting more time cal corver who actually was one out of six in this game they did a good job on him but that's why lebron was able to get all those layups i mean it was just a parade ground for him other than threes uh, i mean in the first quarter he was seven out of eight and i think every single shot was right at the rim uh and they just were not able to load up enough they're really worried about taking away threes and then of course they got going from three-point range hitting nine threes in the second half after only two in the first half to outscore the Celtics enough to stay in the lead I I do think they found a little bit of something after halftime like Isaiah was so bad in the first half I just didn't see him he was one out of eight in the first half I didn't see him have the type of burst that we really need he wasn't getting to the rim he ganked a couple of layups that weren't as contested as you would expect for him to miss him that badly he got going after halftime finished with 17 and 10 but 7 and 19 from the field the big thing was keeping him off the foul line they were really trying hard to do that uh his and then he shot one out of three on the one three shot foul that he did get in the second half or might have been actually late in the first half but a, a lot of that was just I, I thought they were a little shook early on i think they can play much better offensively you know they started working those traps by having al horford slip the screen early and then make a play in a four on three it was a good offensive team it's just you know the, they don't have the firepower that this Cavs team does and they have no answers for lebron james either it also is really feels like a one game series now because if Boston doesn't win game two then we're looking at something really short because Cleveland will have that advantage they'll have the momentum and everything else so while it's it's not impossible that Boston can win a game there I feel like your prediction is going to be locked is going to be very very close if Boston doesn't win in TD Garden on Friday if both of these ends up being sweeps that I predicted uh, and I got that Celtics and seven right over the Wizards am I like back tied with you or will I still be behind I haven't done the math yet but it's probably pretty close yeah I mean we clearly need to wait the later rounds uh much <laughs> higher right I mean they're just like just like when you're doing your NCAA tournament pool right like you get more points for the, the champion than you do for uh, are we changing so so I, I see how it is I see how it is uh good I'm glad that you do <laughs> I didn't say I agree with it, and I didn't say we should change the rules midway. I said I see. There's a very big difference there, but but yeah, I think what what I think that there's a fair amount that Boston can take in a positive sense from this, just in the fact that they were getting good looks, but they just don't really have answers for Cleveland's offense. And Brad Stevens, from the quotes that I kind of saw on Twitter and things like that, it looks like he kind of understands that as well. Because if you can't defend LeBron James one on one, your next option is probably doubling and trapping. He maybe the single best guy in the league at dealing with that 
Well, I think they can still try going under, which I, they That's finally, true. I think, got to. He he was one out of six on threes. I mean, I think, you know, if you can get him to like 10 three-point attempts, like that's, you're doing well there. But no, I, I don't see any easy answers. I think Stevens does a pretty good job. I mean, one answer is just don't play Tyler Zeller ever for any reason. Uh, And he went ultra, ultra small. They, I think, played LeBron at center. They played like Richard Jefferson or something at center in the second half. They brought in Gerald Green to try to boost the offense a little bit. He had a 11 points in, in 14 minutes three or five on threes but i mean i think the Cavs had kind of stopped trying on defense by that point because you know that's what they do when they don't really need to put out the effort and another thing i thought was huge was only eight turnovers for the Cavs as well i mean that they're gonna and boston had 14 like boston has to win the turnover battle to even have the slightest shot in this one and four steals was it for boston i mean they they didn't really get any kind of a chance to take advantage of the Cavaliers' shoddy transition defense until it was too late. Um, and, and the pace in this one was pretty small, too. I mean, that the first half numbers, uh, I guess it was about average. Really, it slowed down in the second half, in fact. And Boston did have a 147 offensive rating in the second half, but their problem was the Cavs still had a 127 offensive rating in the second half as well. And it was 61-39 at, at halftime, and Boston only scored... 81 points for 100 possessions that's just not going to get it done and their defensive rebound percentages as we mentioned was really bad also i don't think i have anything more on this game <laughs> yeah I, I didn't see like a ton of chinks in the armor for cleveland and you know th- this is a pretty easy path oh here's an interesting question brad stevens said that this is the best lebron has been playing since stevens came in the league he came in the league in uh 2013-14 which was lebron's last year in miami but i think it, in particular stevens probably is looking back to that first round series that a, a inferior celtics team played it against the Cavs that, that they ended up sweeping that was the kevin love uh, kelly olenic kelly olenic by the way grabbed someone's arm and got called for a foul in this game in somewhat similar fashion to love not quite as ridiculous as that play but do you agree that lebron james is better now than he's been at any point since stevens was in the league at, at age 32 if we're talking about an entire playoff run yeah probably but yeah this this is a little bit different than the absolute war machine for the last couple of games of the nba finals like partially just because they haven't had the need to like we have we've been seeing more of cruise mode lebron because he hasn't needed to yeah, be I mean, that it hasn't guy at been all. against that level of competition although i will say that like that warriors team the last three games of the finals was like pretty beaten down and broken like that was not sure. the same the same warriors team but i will say this i, I mean i think there's a couple things so i, I do agree that lebron especially with the way he's hit the jump shot in these playoffs has been playing at an unbelievable level i mean it's just these teams have no chance to stop him whatsoever and then not that they've played like great defensive teams yet but and there aren't that many great defensive teams in the league anymore but i think that the cavaliers are playing better than at any time since lebron came to cleveland and and i would even potentially include those last three games of the finals because you know that that team i think was just not quite at the level uh and kevin love has been awesome he's been on fire and he's playing at a much higher level this year than he was last year in the playoffs i guess the only weak link right now has been irving who is is quietly having a pretty subpar playoffs uh and 
and again was, was quiet in this one with 11 points but you know he's had a couple of big games when they've really needed him to and that's what's mattered I think he having him almost as like a little bit more out of the limelight and then when they need some isolation scoring to go to him as opposed to just like giving him 25 possessions a game automatically I think is almost kind of better for them in some ways because the LeBron plus shooters alignment is so difficult to deal with it on its own yeah I'd say that's fair yeah I mean and, and, and by the way Kyrie I think he had one time where he got back cut in this game but I didn't see any other instances of really bad defense and the fact that they've been trapping has really opened that up a lot and now that they have an engaged LeBron on the back side that trapping is much more effective and uh you know we'll see we'll see how that works against golden state um but boston disappointed me in how well they dealt with that but maybe we'd be saying they dealt with it a lot better if they had just made shots in the first half i mean they they were so broke from everywhere even the free throw line they're only five out of ten in the first half and that's why i i am excited for game two just if because it's the best chance we probably have of seeing boston getting a real another another bite at that apple and i think they'll do better but how whether better is enough is still an open question yeah i mean well, and we should also mention be... cleveland cleveland was only 10, 11 to 31 from three in this game too it was it was balanced yeah. differently but it, it wasn't like they were buzzsaws in that way they were just getting a million layups all right, you want to talk a little all defense team? We're we're definitely late to this, but we haven't had a chance to to get into this yet. I took the approach this year. I think it's pretty similar to what I did last year, and and I know you didn't do it the same way, but you know the the NBA says two guards, two forwards, and a center. I like to be a little bit more specific than that. I like to pick guys who play a certain position on offense, and you know then can guard that position and and ideally others as well on defense. So you know if you're going to go with two guards and you're going to have like Avery Bradley and tony allen it's like that's not a real team you know you need someone who can actually like the value comes in actually like playing that position and guarding that position as well and so uh so i had a point point guard a shooting guard a wing you know who can guard like really like wing scorers and then i also had a, a position for combo so a, a guy who plays at the three and the four but if he needs to guard a traditional power forward can you hold up okay in that matchup as well and then of course just your traditional center option so that's how i broke it down do you do you do it any differently i'm guessing you do because i thought this was kind of a unique approach for me i use a more rigid format of just kind of going th- going through it in that perspective and i had some issues this year in terms of positional definitions and i was openly kind of questioning myself in terms of certain parts of it and also it's hard because positional data is not always the most reliable because it re- it, it depends so much on the assumptions of specific individuals and like you as you know as our listeners know too like assignments can change on can change pretty quickly so for example Andre Robertson is a real challenge with this because I feel like the forwards are stronger than the guards but as a technical matter because he started next to Oladipo and Russ he was playing small forward most of the time so I found myself in kind of an ethical quandary about how to handle that yeah uh I totally understand that as well I I I had him in my wing position which is basically the three um and this combo thing to to add to that you know I put guys in like let's say Giannis Antetokounmpo right like he was 
started the four for Milwaukee doesn't generally guard the best wing scorer on the other team but he's capable of doing that and switching but he can he's also capable of guarding the power forward you know like LeBron I would put in that category uh Kevin Durant even though he starts at the three for the Warriors plays a lot of four for them as well you know KD is not really like going to be chasing guys around screens on pick and rolls you know as you're it's guys who can do that who can guard wings and isos but now in the evolving NBA you know Marvin Williams would be another guy who's kind of in this category in the evolving NBA they are given more rim protection duties as well more rebounding duties more post defense duties as well um but anyway, uh, to, on to the actual picks here. I thought that there are two point guards to me that were far and away first deserving of first and second team. Those were Chris Paul and Patrick Beverly. Chris Paul, number one. And the reason I think Chris Paul is so good, number one, the advanced stats, his metrics were unbelievable. I realize he missed 20 games, uh, but I think he had one of the highest de- defensive RPMs in the league and certainly the highest among point guards. And then the thing that sets him apart among basically all these other guys is he's just so strong and so tenacious that he can actually like switch one through three which you probably don't see with these other guys you know even if he's got a guard like you know a Kevin Durant or something in the post like he actually can do that okay whereas the rest of these guys are just going to get totally steamrolled so that's why I I really emphasize the ability to switch more this year and that might lead to some controversial opinions later on here but that's why I had Chris Paul far and away first team and then Beverly really the only guy anymore who's a starter that really like gets into guys anymore you know and i think a lot of the guys who are below him you know who would be honorable mention mike conley ricky rubio drew holiday george hill probably would have been like my number three but he just you know you know only played half the season eric bledsoe has slipped a lot cal lowry has slipped a lot john wall has slipped a lot lot uh there used to be some really good defensive point guards and, and now really it seems like a lot of those guys have fallen off significantly to me it's also just the selection bias that teams need so much more offense now out right. of that position that you can't survive except for Patrick Beverly and he does he does things offensively but he also gets yeah. to play next to James Harden so yeah I mean he, would... he at least he at least plays point guard on their second unit you know so sure. I, like I agree with you I kind of would have been a little bit skeptical of that given the fact that Harden was the one with the ball in his hands all the time but he at least has enough point guard skills that you know he, he can do some stuff there right and and, 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 and he hits wonder... shots as well you know he, he's not like an offensive zero so unlike you i do not necessarily feel in an i in a kind of a structural way that you have to have somebody who defends each position in your in your first team and second team just because i think that sometimes that can be unfair especially yeah. it, well, it's, it's more it about plays each position on offense to me actually which i know it's that, the all defense too. team but, but but i think but that's you a just, way of thinking about it yeah it's but just anyway. a, I want to have a team that you realistically like could assemble that like wouldn't just be like a total clown show on offense you know and, and not just because like you actually have someone to play each position on offense not that they actually are even good at offense but they got at least play that position incredibly to me I totally understand that argument it's not the way that I conceive of the teams just because I think sometimes that could lead to bias against players just unfairly by I totally understand and and dismiss that argument no I don't dismiss it I just <laughs> I just don't follow it and I think that so but but what I was getting at with Chris Paul is I am an open skeptic of the importance of point guard defense compared to especially wings but Chris Paul is so good at what he does that he made my first team anyway even though I didn't I don't have that requirement of having a point guard he's that good that he makes it anyway yeah that that's uh pretty impressive and again you know just that that ability to switch is really outstanding for me at shooting guard uh I had uh, a lot more good contenders here uh Danny Green was 
was my first team guy he is probably the best shooting guard in help defense we've seen Danny Green fast break defense his shot blocking at the rim is outstanding he's strong enough to to be a switch guy as well he can play up a position and guard most wing guys which you know a lot of these guys can't do that well you know you're looking at some of these guys are kind of more one two defenders than you know one through three defenders i really like ones who can guard or or twos who can guard one through three at least uh and then my second choice was clay thompson for that same reason because he's able to switch you think about this warrior's scheme he makes that go in a way that is very underrated because if he were just sort of some normal shooting guard who is pretty thin and couldn't switch it doesn't work you know clay thompson actually holds up pretty well in the post against a lot of guys he'll front he's gotten a lot stronger in the last two years as well uh you know he guards point guards a lot of the times he he'll get the primary assignment on a guy like james harden he can switch on to someone like Kawhi leonard or even lebron james and and do you know if not an unbelievable job a credible job and so just the ability to switch and maintain your defensive integrity and not get killed that makes up for a lot more i mean clay is not going to be like just locking down the way you see someone like avery bradley or, or kcp or tony allen doing but just the additional versatility that he provides to be able to switch two through four even two through five sometimes in some matchups like that's what really you just prevent anyone from getting penetration you just force their entire team to go one-on-one and he's a very underrated part of the Warriors ability to do that I'm a little bit surprised you didn't mention how he did on Gordon Hayward in the Jazz series I thought that was an underrated part of of what he can do that he sometimes draws those base assignments to open things up and that you know the Warriors change up who's guarding whom all the time but I think that that's another reflection of how he kind of bridges some of these gaps and he's primarily guarding Patty Mills in the in the Spurs series and so because Patty Mills is their greater threat kind of in those three spots with Kawhi out and in those two spots with Kawhi in and so and they'll they'll throw him on Kawhi for moments of time as well so I had Clay there too and but there are a lot of really talented guys did, did he here. make your first team or, or was it Danny second Green? team no Danny okay. Green so Danny Dan, Green's better we had the same guys then they had Green Green yeah. and Thompson different yeah. rationales ended up with the same guys Clay Thompson made my second team and I was really torn on that last spot as I said I'm not married to it being a point guard because if I have clay on and so I have clay on and then the last spot was really for me between Patrick Beverly who's certainly deserving of consideration deserving getting it Avery Bradley Contavious Caldwell Pope and the guy who I ended up giving it to, which is Tony Allen. I think Allen is just just a, a monster defensively still and actually played in more games than Patrick Beverly in the regular season. I mean, we, we lose sight of that a little bit just because of the timing of everything, but he did play in more games and Tony Allen can still just erase guys in a way that Patrick, Patrick Beverly makes guys frustrated. Tony Allen can sometimes make them disappear. And I love that. Well, not only that, but Allen is just, he shows up for steals in places that just no one expects him. Yeah, he's way better as a help defender than than Avery Bradley. Yeah, that's true too. I I think maybe I wasn't giving him as much credit. I think it's just the overall number of minutes that he played was so much lower than someone like Bradley or KCP. You know, he's he's 35. He's playing like 22 minutes a game or something at this point. Now you know what? Actually, I'm being a little unfair to him. He was all the way up at, at 27 this year. I still would probably go with Avery Bradley. Would have been higher to me than him. Uh. 
you know, he would have been my, and then Allen maybe would have been an honorable mention as well in, in KCP. And there's definitely some very solid shooting guards in the league defensively. And I, I do think though that Allen as a help defender, also as a switch guy, uh, is probably better than Avery Bradley. But we saw what Avery Bradley was able to do basically like, you know, when he was guarding Bradley Beal, for example, he erased him and then they, they moved Thomas onto him and he took John Wall and, you know, Beal started going off. But yeah, I'm probably giving it not enough credit to Tony Allen here and, and maybe penalize him unfairly for uh, his offense because yeah i really didn't realize that he played 27 minutes a game this year so he still doesn't beat out thompson to me uh but he he's definitely w- would be probably my next choice at the shooting guard at this point so we could move on to the wings that's how you have it defined that's kind of the transition into my forwards and do you want to just do you want to go through a position by position or just because all th- both of us had our, our top three for defensive player of the year just happened to fill the top three spots for this Oh, you mean with forwards and centers remaining? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I guess to, it's easier for me to do it by position because the way I had it set out. Kawhi Leonard was number one for me. I know his numbers weren't as good, but there was that fluky three-point defense that affected things. He was outstanding against James Harden. I thought he his ability to get over screens basically allowed the strategy of them leaving the big back so Harden couldn't just kill them from either mid-range or the three-point line. You know, his length his strength he really i think wore down harden even though he didn't play in that game six so he would be up there for me he's a clear number one and then uh, below him i thought it was actually a five-way race between andre robertson robert covington andre iguodala jimmy butler and paul george iguodala came on more late in the year but didn't play as many minutes as some of these other guys butler and george i thought both slipped neither of their defenses were really as good covington looked great by some of the advanced metrics but he was not quite at this level you know over a long period of time and so I, I give a little extra credit for that because especially because some of the defensive numbers can be fluky in, in a one-year sample if you remember like Chris Middleton was like the greatest two-way player ever and you know I think he's a pretty average wing defender at this point uh so that leaves Robertson who uh is probably the best of all those guys protecting the rim uh excellent defensive rebounder which of course is part of this and just his length he he's probably the best of these guys at guarding ones like he can really guard one through four four probably the most of any of these guys uh so all of that is why i ended up going with robertson but very difficult to decide between all those guys for my second wing spot which would be you know basically think of that as second team forward uh for one of those forward spots and Kawhi leonard being first team for one of the forward spots i had the exact same struggle and a big part of it was that i wanted robertson to get one of the shooting guard spots but he only played according to basketball reference and again this gets into the positional definition thing he only played eight percent of his minutes there and that's not enough for me to really feel comfortable with it and again they could be defining it strangely they could be saying it because he bounces around positions but that that's yeah, a little I, bit I, I don't think they are i mean i'll like times when he was playing at the two in oklahoma city i can't think of many lineups that they regularly deployed where that would have been yeah the i mean there were and, and even then they did i don't think they loved though they did it sometimes having victor oladipo on threes so you know they would do it if the situation presented itself it just so happens that a lot of the best perimeter players right now at the at the swingman positions are the three but robert robertson had a wonderful year he's also can be can be a nice rebounder for his position and i ended up going with covington for that what ends up being my second team spot because i use the different rationale i really like his ability you know the kind of the block steel combo guys are something that i always really like and covington being a doing a little bit more of the forward stuff helped him helped him for me because the sixers need that you know they they need players who could who 
who can kind of fill that role. And maybe that's a little bit unfair to Robertson just because they have Steven Adams back there a fair amount. But I think that Covington did a nice job handling what they needed to. And the defensive talent around Covington in terms of quality shifted so regularly and so dramatically over the course of the season. I mean, they were monsters when Joel Embiid was there. They were distinctly not when he was not. But Covington was was helpful the entire time. Yeah, the one reason I might put Covington a little bit below some of these guys is just because, and this isn't even necessarily, I don't realize it's a regular season award, but I get a better feel for guys' defense in a playoff series when they really do have to just match up and stop the best wing scorers. And we've seen Iguodala and Butler and Paul George be effective in that role. We've obviously seen that with Leonard and Covington since his teams haven't been competing for the playoffs. You know, we haven't really seen that spotlight get put on him yet, although, you know, I think he did about everything that he could during the regular season I mean I think he's kind of I don't know that I put him in the same category as the rest of these guys as a lockdown guy I think as a help guy his ability to close out you know that kind of stuff I think he he did really well this year um I'll move on now to my combo forwards uh Draymond Green is my defensive player of the year he is number one on this list for me but then it came down to I had basically a three-way race between Paul Millsap Giannis Adetokounmpo and Kevin Durant LeBron if we were talking about uh, first team all defense in the playoffs he'd be much more in consideration um, I eventually went with Paul Millsap he's been doing it for longer he was part of a great Hawks defense and really is just an underrated defensive force so he was my other second team all defense forward uh where were you on those guys I had Draymond Defensive Player of the Year as well. And the Hawks were just a fascinating team defensively this year because you kind of try to piece together why why they were so good. And, you know, they have plenty of defensive talent. Dwight Howard had a better season than I expected at center. But I think Millsap is so important to what they do. And the fact that they were able to change over their centers and still be, and, and you know, have a very different team and still be good there helped out. And again, I've talked about the idea that I like steel blocks guys and Paul Millsap is certainly that. So I had him second. But you're right that it is an intriguing group and the other reason why I think Millsap stands above those guys is that he brings it more game to game like Giannis and Durant they have their moments and if we're talking capability of course LeBron is is probably number two on this list to dream on maybe even number one and that's something different capability like I I kind of use that argument a little bit in favor of Kawhi but Kawhi is a different case and so for me it's Millsap and then well I didn't define him this way so so the other one so but Millsap is my is my second team all defense guy in a similar niche to what you had yeah it looks like we're actually ending up pretty similarly here uh at center rudy gobert was my number two defensive player of the year he, he easily easily takes the top spot uh i believe he was number one in defensive rpm Draymond was number two gobert has been outstanding now for three years even when he had that mcl injury last year uh the jazz completely cratered defensively i mean he without Derek favors playing for much of the year gobert actually really propped up their de- a defense that really was and without George Hill playing a lot too I mean some if you look at the, the four men they played Boris Dia Trey Lyles and Joe Johnson were their four men all year so it's not like they were exactly sending a lot of help his way where it really got interesting for me was second team all defense at center I don't there are not as many defensively dominant centers as there used to be we've talked about deandre jordan but he to me is just too inconsistent uh i thought we saw that in the playoffs i thought we saw that throughout the year again joel Embiid, if he'd been even close to healthy all year he would have been an easy pick for second team for me but you know of course he only played under a thousand minutes so hard to give it to him 
Dwight Howard, I thought, started off the year very nicely. He had a really excellent game, for example, in Golden State earlier in the year. He had another great game against the Cavs when they beat Cleveland in Cleveland. But he really dropped off, and it seemed like his back or his knees were really bothering him by, by the end of the year. But still, it had a nice overall year. And that actually leaves Anthony Davis, who I thought uh, had a renaissance year, defensively played more than half of his minutes at center. The Pels were a quality defense. So I, uh, he's got more mobility, uh, more use as a switch guy than a fair amount of these guys as well so i ended up going with him but you know none of those guys i mentioned to me are anywhere close to my first team guy gobert i really stressed out about this for a while because there was nobody that i thought when i went through it kind of on first blush was really deserving and part of this is also the little bit of bias from the playoffs because dwight howard was much better overall in the regular season but the lasting impression of was him being a being a stone statue in the yeah, this is this is why we need to do this earlier next year. By the way, like I probably didn't give Tony Allen enough credit because you know he just missed the playoffs and he he kind of like I was like oh you know he probably didn't play that much. And I was like oh no actually how about you go look at like the stats from this year and see how much he played instead of just like trying to remember it. But uh yeah and, and Howard is another example of how that can really affect things. So I I think that 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 was kind of where I was going with the initial stuff. I also want to mention we, we you you brought up Joel Embiid. They had a defensive rating under a hundred when Joel Embiid was on the floor this year 99.1 which is considering the rest of their talent is is awfully impressive and we'll have to see what happens moving forward he did only play in 31 games so maybe some of that stuff will not continue and like you i went in this circuitous route and i actually was originally removing anthony davis from consideration because i was thinking because you focus on the end of the year and you're like oh you know he's playing power forward next to demarcus cousins and they weren't that good defensively and then i just sat there and realized i because i had gotten into this argument with various people on twitter including people i respect a lot about that we're kind of trying to argue that anthony davis should be a power forward in terms of all nba because he was playing center at the end of the year and i'm like no you look at the whole sample and then i went back and looked and he played a majority of his minutes at center and as of the all-star break they were eighth in defense and remember they fiddled around with a lot of other lineups in the early part of that year when they went on their big push it was with ad at center so i ended up going with him and feel pretty happy about it i like i went from being dissatisfied with his whole process to being like okay i can live with that all right well that was cool let's talk about the washington wizards offseason momentarily but first this from betterment it's never too late to save for retirement or your other financial goals if you're getting married you want to buy a house or a car and the financial services industry has now embraced technology with the entry of automated investing. That's what Betterment does. It's lower cost automated investing than traditional financial services because you don't have to pay a human for expertise that a lot of research has shown uh, doesn't really give you that much in a lot of cases. They have a bunch of cool products, a few of which I can tell you about. One is Smart Deposit, where if you get a certain amount in your checking account, you can say, all right, any time I get above 5,000 bucks in my checking account, that's all I need for day-to-day expenses. Let's invest the rest of it anytime I get more. So especially if you have you're a freelancer, you have variable income. That's a great way to deal with things. Another one is their tax impact preview. If you're going to make a move with your investments, it'll tell you what the tax consequences of that will be. And that's another great service that they offer. Well, you get started with them, betterment.com slash capspace. You can check them out. They have a really cool, simple user interface that helps even investing neophytes get going. And Dunked On listeners can get up to six months of no fees and learn how at betterment.com slash capspace. Once again, betterment.com slash capspace. Betterment investing made better. 
So Washington doesn't really have a ton going on this offseason in terms of intrigue. I mean, it just seems pretty obvious to me. They've got Otto Porter as a restricted free agent. They're probably going to have to pay him, if not the max, close to it. That's going to put them close to the tax. So they're not really going to be able to do much else other than that and if they were to re-sign Porter at the max then they're basically like right at the tax at that point Washington one of the few teams I think there's like three or four of them now that have never paid the tax uh first under Abe Pollen and now uh, Ted Leonsis but they haven't really had a team worth paying the tax for either maybe you could make the argument that, that this would be that and so I do think they need to add to this team, but they will be extremely constrained in doing so. Even if they want to spend, it's going to be hard for them. And I, I think that this is a year that they should go into the tax. If, if if you're willing to at some point, it might as well be now. And a big part of the reason is that's how they're going to get better. You know, they can hold firm and stay pretty close to the line. But if they want to use their taxpayer mid-level exception, which would be a nice use of, of spending for them, they, they need to be able to be willing to do that because then they can bring Bogdan back they can sign a backup point guard and ideally i would add some some wing depth depending on how they see kelly Oubre, and they can make all that happen with the new mid-level if they can get and and presumably getting a guy at the minimum on the other side of it but they're going to need to spend to do so and they don't really have that much movable salary because they have all these guys on kind of mid-level contracts you know like marquis morris marcin gortad and they could move one of those guys if they really had to but you're gonna they also need those guys yeah i mean that's the other problem like those guys are starting for them you know they don't have a i mean despite all the money they spent they don't have a ton of depth the one downside to me of if you're going to spend the mini mid-level this year which it starts at 5 million 5.2 million per season so you're basically looking at about a three-year 60 million dollar contract is none of their money really going into the future is going away in future years like jason smith has a player option for next year other than that like that's really the only thing that might be coming off the books anytime soon and with brandon jennings a free agent they probably don't even have really a great option at point guard trey burke is a restricted free agent youth i would imagine he probably isn't even going to get a qualifying offer because he might just take it and then you know you're kind of stuck with him uh so i wouldn't necessarily do that i mean they, they're clearly not going to want to pay him you know some kind of a decent contract uh if they're going to resign him in restricted free agency I, I so i probably would just totally not give him a qualifying offer sataransky i think he could be solid but brooks doesn't trust him yet so they do need to get some other kind of veteran point guard option and we'll see that backup point guard market is looking pretty tepid right now as far as like the type of players you can bring in who are actually going to be able to contribute in the playoffs i had two guys in mind not necessarily yeah. that could contribute in the playoffs but ty lawson and cj watson i think if you're looking for somebody who's really only going to play like five to ten minutes a game i think that could they I think could lawson that. could even could play more than that it's just you, you know he defensively could get taken advantage of but so did jennings at least i think lawson can give you more offensively just in terms of, of running the team uh but i if they are going to spend that me uh that taxpayer mid-level i think their number one lead is, is to get another wing even if it's a very defense first guy like someone like a tabo cephalosha or lukumba mute because i mean this team now you know they're in theory going to be in the playoffs they look like a team that health permitting can be in the top four in the east for a while and so you got to start thinking more now about playoff matchups and they really have nobody they avoided the kazoo they got nobody who can guard lebron james nobody who can guard like a, a paul george or a jimmy butler and, and so to get so, someone like that who then also might enable you you know Uber is gonna be too thin to do that i think uh 
to get someone like that who would then enable you to play small more at the end of games as well with Markeith Morris we saw how they just could not guard the Celtics shooting for example imagine how bad that would get with Cleveland and Gortat is not like enough of a post-up guy that he can kill that spacing on the other end we saw you know Linux, for example like just worked these guys whereas if you have guys who can switch more maybe you don't need that so that would be my number one priority for them obviously something at backup point guard or just like you just say hey you know what we're gonna just give this job to thomas sadaransky and then if we need to make an upgrade at the trade deadline and we will uh, or maybe even in the buyout market like that would be my strategy try to get more of a wing defender uh you know and, and i mentioned cephalosha and in Bahamute, like those are the only guys I think that are really good defenders that might be available in their price range. And then if not that, I would go for like a combo forward type, you know, a Jonas Jarebko, uh, a Dante Cunningham again, someone who can just be like, okay, defensively shoot a little bit, not kill you on offense, just give you a little more depth because uh, they really need like a someone who can come in and play some backup four who isn't a traditional big. I hadn't even considered Mbamute just because I thought his price range was going to be higher. But if he were in that you think range- so? you that- think he'll get more than five million a year i'm not sure he will i was just my instinct was i was my brain was going more towards seven but washington would be a wonderful fit just because he could be kind of the third piece of a three-man forward rotation i think he could he could work really nicely there and that could actually open some stuff up for markeith morris as well on the second unit if for like when you're playing or markeith could play center you could play luke at the four you have you have enough offense to get away with a guy like that and then just have him guard the lebron james's of the world uh and i think you know do an okay job job uh, have someone who just isn't going to get completely steamrolled the way someone like Otto Porter would yeah I was thinking that ju- maybe it's just because I'm I was underrating the idea of the Wizards maybe even getting somebody for a little bit less I was thinking more aiming low just because they either like somebody more in the Matt Barnes type of range which is not appetizing compared to what you were discussing just we'll have to see where the market what the market bears out but another guy we we should mention here not necessarily saying he's a solution but they did acquire Chris McCullough in that Brooklyn trade which is also why they don't have a first round pick and he could be a part of the bench solution next year i haven't seen enough of him to have a feel for it but he's an option yeah uh, i don't think he is and you know I, i'm not even going to say that like in watching him it's like oh he's been horrendous or something i mean the guy played what like 61 minutes for brooklyn and it, i mean if he probably played less than that for washington so i it's I wouldn't be counting on him for anything. We'll put it that way. Like he move, moving him into a role. I mean, he, and he could be that kind of backup combo for it, but it just seems like he is so incredibly far away at this point that relying on him. Uh, we haven't talked to it all about Boyan Bogdanovich as well, who is a restricted free agent, uh, $7 million cap hold. Doesn't really matter what his cap hold is, you know, but they keep that on the book. So they could pay him whatever they want to. They have full bird rights on him. He's restricted, 28 years old. He shot the ball well. Uh, you know, I think he's had some moments even in the playoffs shooting the ball. He's someone who can contribute for them. They do need some more scoring off the bench. But then I, I it seems to me like they're probably in a situation where they have to decide, are we either going to use the the mini mid-level or are we going to bring him back? Because it, the contract that he's going to get seems like it would be to me, like kind of right around the mini mid-level, maybe a little bit more if they're going to go with less years, maybe a little bit more on a per dollar basis. Or I'm sorry, on a per year basis. They also are kind of at the whim of what happens with the market. I think about a situation like what happened with Timofey Mozgov last year, where it only takes one team to misread a market and like your guy better than the similar players that are are on other teams like Shabazz Muhammad is not the same guy as Bogdanovich but you could see a team saying oh this this guy we can we can make him work and then the other one just gets way less money and the Wizards just hope that nobody loves their guy and the prospect of them matching could 
scare other teams off just because it matters a lot more in some ways at these lower levels than at the higher levels because at the higher levels it's just a risk worth taking you know if you're the nets or the sixers taking that shot on kcp is very different from doing it on somebody like bogdanovich so they could see the market chill enough but as a practical matter i think you're right i wish that were not the choice but with the cap largely stalling at this point and washington having no dissipation in their money it would be hard to believe that that they would commit that kind of thing to two different guys even though i think that's close to necessary to reach the level they want to reach and it certainly would be wonderful if if jan bohemia played well enough this year that they could trade gortat and feel good about it and then they could solve both of these problems but gortat has been far better and Gortat has been far more trustworthy. Yeah, Gortat in his exit interviews with Candace Buckner on Tuesday had some comments basically saying like, hey, you know, and he's never one to shy away from being honest in the media, which I love about him, but saying, hey, you know, like I, I need to have a conversation with Ernie Grunfeld about like, are they going to trade me? You know, they brought in Jan Mahimi underneath me. What's going on? But you know, I, I they, they can't trade him. You know, they don't. And even if they, number one, they can't trade him because they need him. And number two, even if they wanted to, you know, I'm not really sure that anyone really needs him. You know, I think he, because of his screening ability, both because Bradley Beal uses screen so much, John Wall as well, especially because Wall, you know, is a guy who's not the greatest shooter. So he needs to have that chemistry with Gortat. You know, and I thought their offense really suffered in that Boston series when Gortat was off the floor and they didn't have his screening ability against some of the best guards again we're talking about getting into the playoffs here I mean, maybe an option that they could try I mean because you know we're talking about potentially getting off of money here but you know I, I think this is definitely not the year to cheap out uh if they can open up the coffers even a little bit but this is a team that's long been one of the least profitable in the NBA uh maybe they'll get some more season tickets now after the, this nice run this year but if they could find a way to trade Gortat for someone with a little more defensive versatility and then maybe throw in an asset as well. But you got to remember now this year and then in 2015, both, or I'm sorry, 2016 and 2017 now, they'll have traded away their first round pick and they did the same to get Gortat. So this is now three of the last four years. They've not had their first rounder. Really the only guy they have on a rookie contract right now, other than McCullough, who was a dump, is Kelly Oubre. And he's obviously going to have to step up more in future years, but but you really start to say we we can't just keep trading away our, our draft picks for these kind of incremental improvements. Uh, so I, I I don't know if you'd want to do that, but it is something maybe to consider if there's a more versatile big man making similar money that they could try to acquire. I'm not even sure who that would be necessarily, but maybe you could get like another guy who could be more of a combo big start Mahin me uh, and then, you know, he could come off the bench behind Morris at, at either big spot. I, yeah, I can't, I can't think of the right fit. I toyed with the idea of Ed Davis a little bit, but they don't have the, the yeah, he's weight, not better mechan- than Gortat though. No, oh hell yeah, no. So, but they also, yeah. they also don't have the mechanism to fit in like one of those mid salaries. They don't, they have a trade exception for Nicholson, but it's not big enough. And the, it's, it's just another, another team building thing. And also, of course, you know, the idea of costing, costing money and everything like that. So unless yeah. they were getting that guy back in a trade or getting a trade exception, it would be hard. Yeah. I think probably my plan would be, you know, especially if they feel like Mahimi is healthy going forward that these knee troubles are behind him I know he had the cap issue in the playoffs but that's a little bit less concerning I think my plan would be either to move Jason Smith and his uh 5.3 million this year 5.5 million dollar player option next year see if I could move him now because I don't think he's going to play nearly as well as he did this season and maybe a team would just be willing to take him and if not then maybe you could just keep him around and then you know if it still looks like Mahimi has passed his troubles you could try to get under the tax or close to it um 
They also have the 57th or 52nd pick this year. They traded their first away to Brooklyn, but they are light on second rounders going forward. They owe them in 2019 and 2021. Are any other housekeeping in terms of just guys who are like non-guaranteed at the back of the roster? Yeah, I believe that both Sheldon McClellan and Daniel Ochefu are non-guaranteed and have early guarantee dates, so we'll know on them probably right at the start of free agency. Yeah, they they become 50 thousand guaranteed uh as of july 1st so we may see them just get cut before then and hey you know it's, I, it doesn't seem like the kind of guys who had that much demand they could always just re-sign those guys to a fully non-guaranteed deal later just to save that 50k at least you know every bit's gonna count off the luxury tax for for this team um or you know they might keep them around I, neither mcclellan had a few moments every now and then this year uh ochefu we didn't see hardly any of him at all so difficult to imagine that he's ready to contribute they haven't had a d-league team so we, we haven't seen how they've performed there i could also see them stretching mccullough as well if they just you know we'll see how he plays in summer league this year but you know after that he is he does have his third year rookie option that's already been picked up but his fourth year they could move on from again because they're so impacted salary wise or he could even be one of those cj wilcox situations where they don't like him and just give him to somebody else yeah i mean it definitely seemed like when the nets traded him it was basically as dead salary like no i don't think either the wizards or the nets valued him in that trade necessarily but you know maybe he could still come through he's young he's still had that acl in college so he, he Another year removed from that, uh, can shoot it a little bit. He's got some nice straight line speed. Last thing, though, the All-NBA announcements, which are coming out tomorrow, John Wall, a guy who's not been talked about, he actually is eligible for the designated player veteran extension. And by the way, I'm correcting this because I messed up his years of service. He still has two years left on his deal, though, but because he does have eight years of experience, he can get a designated veteran extension that's only four years and would start after his current contract ends. He doesn't have a player option the way Paul George does. So the Wizards could definitely give him that. That would start at about 36 million and tack on four years and maybe about 155 million to his existing contract we won't know the exact number until we get the cap number for the 2019-20 season but you wonder whether they would necessarily want to do that with wall 29 at that point for these guys who are kind of between the 10th and 20th best player in the league like wall is that's not gonna be a great contract for seasons 29 through 32 but wall certainly would be agreed that they don't offer that to him because they already eschewed giving him a bump with the renegotiation and extension last year to sign the likes of Jason Smith and Mahimi guys who didn't really perform that well this year Smith was okay Mahimi obviously wasn't and, and Andrew Nicholson who had to get dumped as a bad contract already so that'll be some more drama for the Wizards this offseason all right I think we are done here once again congratulations to Ellie on his graduation from Georgetown Law if anyone else wants to send a message to their friends feel free to get in touch with me email addresses in my twitter bio and of course betterment betterment.com slash cap space you can get up to six months of no fees for lower cost automated investing we did even though it was a boring game our dunk down video today you can check that out on either twitter or my facebook page nate duncan nba you can subscribe to that youtube channel twitter nba show is off tomorrow of course we'll be back with that for game two on Friday and no dunk on tomorrow, but there will be a all mailbag 
our first exclusive Patreon podcast for our subscribers, whom we thank. If you are a subscriber, you can ask questions, and they're the only ones who are going to get to hear that. So we hope that uh, you will subscribe, help support this endeavor, help support uh, the hours of content we're doing on Twitter NBA show as well. We certainly appreciate that, and we try to give you some extras. In fact, I'm about to post as soon as we get off of this podcast my salary sheet that I just used for this. So that's a, another little perk that you'll get uh, salary sheets for all 30 teams. I'll post eventually with some of my projections and cap holds a little bit more detailed than some of the stuff that's uh, publicly available. So, all right, that's it. Anything to add, Danny, before we go? Well, I had my off-season preview for the Lakers come out on, on Wednesday for Sports Illustrated, and I might have another one come out. I, I sent, they have a batch of them, and so we'll see if they, they send one out. I'm actually writing the Oklahoma City Thunder one now, so we, that won't be tomorrow, but that'll be coming up soon, probably. We really need to start spreading these plugs out throughout the, the show now. Like we just have like too much shit. We're all working too hard right now. Uh, but only another two months, and then uh, we'll get a little time off finally. But it's uh, the two best months of the year to me. So looking forward oh, to yeah. it. And uh, th- thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you all hopefully tomorrow if you're a Patreon subscriber. If not, then you we'll talk to you all on Friday night. Till then.